the podcast starts now. Fantastic. That's great. So uh, as I say to everyone who comes on, no agenda. Uh, I don't have any questions written out. Um, I was introduced to you by a friend who said, you need to talk to this guy. And I said, okay, I'm reaching out. Well, let's see where, let's see where that lands. And then I did a little bit of digging and I purposely don't dig too deep because I want to meet you face to face first time. So I know that you do some work in and around meditation. And I saw that lovely space, the fifth direction, that, that little space you've got going on. I said, well, okay, that looks, that, that looks like my kind of place. Um, and then the work with warrior within, and that is about all I know. Okay. So well, I'm, that's, coming in, that's... I'm coming in open with a little idea of names of things that are associated with you, but not what they're really about. So mm. I'm excited to find out more. Well, that's a, that's a lovely place to start because it means, you know, we're opening up a space where we can really make contact, you know, um, as opposed I, to having preconceived ideas and, and labels about um, who we are. Yeah. The so, label um, thing. Pleasure, pleasure to chat with you anyway, Adam. And I appreciate the invitation. Right. Thank you for being here. It's great. Mm. Oh, it's a lovely space that I've got here. You look like you've got a lovely space there too. Nice and yeah. comfy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really happy here um, at the moment. Um, although, you know, Shifting sand. It's always the way. Mm. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow at the moment, nor do you ever, I suppose. No, that's true. That's true. What shall we jump into first as a topic of conversation? What, what's, uh, what's calling to you? Oh, man, that's, uh, that's a very put, broad question. Yeah. Put you on the spot there. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of drawn into um, um, what's going on currently in the world, I suppose. But for me, yeah, here's a place to start. Look, I'm still buzzing last night. Um, yeah, I'm in the middle of running one of my um, sort of deep immersions um, with, the, with, with the men that come into Warrior Within, um, which is like a three-month uh, container that, that we run. Um, and so, you know, that, that happens on a Thursday night, um, every, every Thursday for, for 12 weeks. And um, I guess I'm still buzzing after um, being in that space, you know, deep with the men last night and um you know i always always wake up on a friday morning feeling feeling um i guess humbled and, and grateful yeah i can appreciate that i've uh, just started an online men's group again i kicked it off when the first pandemic lockdown hit and ran it for about three months and it just kind of fizzled out by itself as as the men who were involved found their own support structures and I've kicked it off again now because I, I just saw that there was a bit of a need. And I had the same experience Monday night that you're talking about now, where I knew, I think there were seven of us in the virtual circle. I knew two people and, you know, distance. I haven't seen those two people and connected with them in person for a really long time. So it was almost like reconnecting with everyone and it went deep fast, like, properly deep and i had i had reckon two days of buzzing on that just that connection and the openness in that sharing it's completely unexpected and i'm a member of a men's group that's been going five ish years here i still didn't expect that it was wonderful wonderful yeah it's a nice feeling when um you know when the spark turns into a bit of a flame um, yes, and that the medicine starts to get, you know, really powerful. Um, you know, I think that's one of the joys of, of being in brotherhood, you know, um, and particularly when, you know, 
as, as you said, I think, did you say five men that you didn't know? And, you know, with, within, you know, a short space of time, suddenly you're having these conversations, which are really um, below, you know, deep below the surface. And you're kind of um, meeting these people in a very kind of human level. And um, to me, that's when a lot of healing takes place. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's self-led healing because the rest of the structure is there as support. Yeah, hundred percent. And I love, I love that. There's no one trying to fix anyone else, nor supply unwanted or unwarranted advice. Mm. Yeah, I think that's some of the tenets. You know, certainly from a worry within. You know, we we kind of have a, a structure, and um, definitely um, a lot of that stuff is is baked in. So, so yeah. Look, it, it's it's a it's just it's a gift. Um, it's a gift that, that keeps on giving for me, you know, this is um, basically happens, you know, I mean, I'm in, uh, in the warrior within space. I mean, we're holding um, upwards of kind of 25 live sessions a month now. Um, so there's something going on pretty much every single day um, mm. in one shape or form from meditation to breath work, to mythology, to um, um, elder circles. And um, um, we have um, a feminine space where we invite um women um teachers to come in and teach the men about the about the divine feminine and other things so it's just it's it's a it's you know it's grown a lot in in um in the five years since its inception um had no real idea about what it would look like it was very organic um just came from a kind of needs basis that grew um started off in my house and um you know, here we are, and I'm 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 really proud of of what's been built, and it's co-created. It's certainly not just me. It's like all the men. You know, um, it's about three hundred guys in there now, and um, it's Wonderful. a nice space. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm. I I just kicked off something of my my own online called Wholehearted Men, and it's a reboot of something I tried a few years ago, but I didn't put my heart and soul into it. I dipped my toe in, and there's over a hundred men in a couple of weeks jumped on this group. And most of those men are active mm. and completely unexpected again. Mm. Uh, and it, the space is being co-created. I'm kind of facilitating it just to keep the momentum up at the moment, but just to see it grow and men interact and they'll become more used to what it's all about eventually. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's I think great. it is good. And I think, you know, these sorts of spaces, uh, I'm seeing them, you know, um, proliferating you know all over the place and i think it's mm. it's important um for men to come together you know in community um and you know heal and grow together um and have you know to be able to go into their grief and go into their pain and go into their um suffering um you know in a space where they're you know i think it's robert Bly. He says you know dip your wounds um in the water in the presence of other men and that's kind of his definition mm. of healing that's great. Mm. Yeah, I don't recall that one. That's great. I'm going to have to, have to write that one down. <laughs> That's great. When, when did you come to men's work for, firstly? Like, when, what was your introduction to it? Um, it, was, it was kind of organic in a way. I mean, I, like, like a lot of men, as I'm sure you've witnessed as well, they sort of something in the external world kind of triggers a bit of an internal collapse um, and you kind of, left flailing because you know you realize you've you've had plan a through a all your life and as soon as that um stops working you you feel um you're drowning basically and i think you know for me that was definitely the case um you know after a long and i guess 
you know, um, successful by most external definitions, corporate career. Um, I had a lot of events in my life, which kind of um, tipped me over. Um, and the long and the short of it is um, I wound up in a psych clinic and, um, you know, it was from that place where I started to ask some really big questions of myself and look inwards and kind of figure out meaning, what was I doing here and what was my purpose and, and not really having any answers to those questions, but realizing I needed to look in for them, not externally, which I'd been doing all my life up until that point, you know, so along came meditation and, and, and breath work. And, and I started investigating um, the modalities, which kind of spoke to me. Um, but the men's work really came along uh, a little bit in around, you know, in a strong way in about 2016, I suppose, um, when um, um, a group of men, I, I'd been teaching in a, in a space meditation, a group of men came and um, um, approached me about setting up a men's only space, but just for meditating. And, you know, the, 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 the thought process was that um, back then, a lot of the meditation spaces were um, quite feminine spaces. Yes. Um, in the sense that they were mostly yoga studios and a lot of them, particularly in Melbourne, were owned by women and you walked in and, you know, there was the essential oils and the flowers and then that's all, that's all wonderful. But, you know, the guys wanted something a little bit different. So I said, um, sure, let's, you know, let's meditate at my place once a week, you know, just guys only. And um, I, I, I sort of knocked together this little six week learn to meditate course, but with, it, with a very masculine structure to it you know, almost like a, a warrior kind of style about it. Um, and, um, you know, I had about 35 guys sign up for the course and, you know, um, it, it went, it went, it went extremely well, but the in an interesting thing happened, Adam, and that was when we'd finished the meditation piece, everyone stuck around and started talking. And over time we ended up in a circle and we ended up sharing issues and stuff that was troubling us and 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 we spoke about these things and so you know what what started as a kind of one hour meditation practice was turning into hours and hours you know and over time that grew and in the end like I had men coming down from regional Victoria and sleeping on the floor in my house and we'd be talking till two or three in the morning and then we'd get up again and do a little meditation at six and then they'd head off back to work and it just it just yeah, it was just like, there was no, it just happened. It was completely organic, you know, but, um, it, you know, it wasn't until the cops showed up one night at my place that I realized that we had to kind of formalize this and find ourselves a space. Too many people that, at your place. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I think that night we were doing some anger release stuff and, um, uh -huh. um, some people in the street got a little bit perturbed. I mean, there was apps, you know, as you know, it was just, it was just Pretty trauma nice. release and things like that. But, um, you know, when the police turned up, I think they expected to find kind of empty beer bottles everywhere. And obviously they couldn't find it. You know, there was just like a bunch of guys sitting around, some were crying, some were hugging. And it was like, <laughs> you know, I actually took one of the policemen aside and I said, you know, um, everyone, the wives of every single one of these men are, are glad they're here. You know, and I think that really kind of put it into perspective for them, you know. Um, mm. But I realized, you know, it was clearly not something which I, I, I needed to move it into a, into a proper space, uh, you know, a more appropriate space. And did that lead to the fifth direction? Is Eventually it led to the fifth direction. Yeah. Um, you know, in a, in a windy kind of a way, but that was, that was where we ended up. Yeah. I think they're um, all windy kind of ways, aren't they? 
Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, and and some of those guys from the original crew, you know, are still very active participants of what it looks like today. And now, you know, it's 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 mostly online. Um, a, a lot of that driven by the you know restrictions and lockdowns. It's just had to become that way. Um, but as a result of that, you know, we've 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 now got a, a mobile app. Um, and, and the community has gone from a group of men in Melbourne to men from literally all around the world. Um, and, you know, and we've got teachers in the space now from all around the world. Um, and that's, you know, because of technology and because of its online capacity. So, you know, we've got partnerships with the Mythic Masculine in, in uh, Ian McKenzie in Canada. Um, our breath teacher um, is, is, a, is a, an old, dear old friend of mine through the Wim, from the Wim Hof days. Um, based in in Toronto, um, we've got a partnership with um, with a poet, um, a, a brilliant British poet and storyteller by the name of Tom Hirons. Um, um, and uh, what else? We've got we've got an affiliation with the Minnesota Men's Conference, um, which was the original men's conference founded by um, Robert Bly back in 1984. So we're connected right back into go. the to the roots of the mythopoetic. You know, and we sit with those men that literally were there, at, um, you know, at, at the curation of, of that whole thing, you know, um, and we sit with them once a month and hear about all the old stories. And so we feel very much connected back to the roots of, of men's work, at least, you know, con- in a contemporary way, um, in the sense that, you know, um, Bly and Co kicking off the, the mythopoetic men's movement in the late 80s, early 90s. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit? I, I don't know how familiar I am, and maybe it's a misunderstanding of the language, but mythopoetic, can you explain that to me, please? Yeah, it's just, um, it's looking at, um, it's looking at uh, it, how to best describe it. It's, it's basically um, looking at men's work through the lens of myth, you know, through the lens of the ancient stories and the realisation that um, this place in the centre of our chest, you know, soul work, if you want to call it that, is really based around the... Um, the transmission of all the, the stories that have been handed down um, all the way back to Greek mythology and, and, and way before, you know, mm. way before. Um, so, you know, it, it's basically trying to bring alive that mythos, that imagination, which exists in the center of the chest there. And, you know, rather than all this spiritual work, which for me is, is an upward direction. It's all about the ascent and all about, you know, ecstasy and bliss. It's actually going the other way into the dirt, you know, um, into into you know the descent into soul as I'd call it, um, where, where where we look at the uncomfortable places, you know grief and sorrow and realizing that when we um, take off our armor and allow ourselves to feel into the parts of us that we're not comfortable with, that's actually we can alchemize that into joy. You know, yes. You know, the, the way to most men's heart, I'd, hearts, I'd suggest, is is through grief, not through um, joy. Um, you know, we have to. It's it's the gateway in. And if you think about grief, it's really um, grief and love are really um, two sides of the same coin. Because when you realize what's underneath that grief, you realize it's love. Because you're grieving maybe what you lost. You know, the only reason you grieve is because you loved. And so the deeper you dig, you suddenly start to realize that it really is all about love. So that's kind of the, the alchemical process which happens. But that whole idea of expressing your grief through, through story, through poetry, through song, through dance, um, through creative expression, 
um, is really what the mytho poets were all about. And it was led by, um, by the great poet, Robert Bly. Um, um, and he, it was like a triumvirate. Um, Michael Mead, uh, who's one of the great mythologists, was, was, was one of the founders, and also James Hillman, who's a Jungian psychologist. And the mytho poets, it, 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 you know, given Carl Jung's um, um, association with myth in terms of the way he looked at life, it's all very connected to a Jungian framework. Mm-hmm. So um, that's essentially, you know, the long answer, I suppose. But it really speaks to me, um, yeah, you know, and, and and kind of the 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 book which kind of set guys onto the mythopoetic path was a book called Iron John. I don't know if you're aware of that. I've book. heard of Iron John. I've yeah, it. yeah. So that was kind of the one that book kind of really, in in a sense, started the the mythopoetic movement. Which you know, Iron John. Um, was a Grimm Brothers tale originally called Iron Hounds, and um, and Bly used it as a way of, um, as as a metaphor for a man's life, um, and and the book Iron John sort of tells the story but paints the picture around it, you know, with all these mm-hmm. themes and motifs and symbols and um, and you know from that s- sprung up an entire uh, men's movement, you know. Um, which included some fascinating figures. When you look back at, um, you know, I guess the arc of, of history in terms of what sprung from those roots and you, you, you run into some incredible people. Um, you know, I guess, you know, the most well-read poet in the Western world now is, is Rumi. Um, you know, and Rumi's, the translation of Rumi came, came about through um, um, Coleman Barks. If you look at the, the, if you look at any Rumi book you've got, it'll, highly likely say translated by Coleman Barks and that all comes from the same roots you know um, um, Rumi hadn't been translated very well into English there was some there was some translations from the 50s which were kind of hard to take in as, as an English speaker um, and Bly arrived in circle one night with a satchel of these papers from the 50s and handed them to Coleman Barks and said um, these poems need to be released from their cage and Coleman Bach spent his entire life disciplining himself to translating Rumi. And now he's the most read poet in the Western world. So, and, you right, know, and rightly so. Some, and rightly so, right? Oh, but see, there's just some yeah. amazing stuff there. Yeah. So, even if we, so you can just see that um, from, the, from the roots of the mythopoetic comes all this beauty that we see in life right now, a lot, a lot connected to the various aspects of men's work. You know, if you, the documentary on Rumi is a beautiful one called um, Rumi Poet of the Heart. And, when you when you watch that, um, you know it's almost like a history of the mythopoetic to a certain degree. Gonna have to chase it up. Mm. So that's the framework of all our work at Worry Within. We, we, we look at it through a mythopoetic lens, and you know I talked to you about this twelve week course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really based on a kind of twelve week cycle, um, kind of I guess loosely structured around Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey. Um, and of course, you know, Joseph Campbell was, was extremely tied into the mythopoetic movement. He and, he and Robert Bly were, were you know, um, very close. And, um, and Joe would, you know, arrive at, at these men's conferences in the woods and, and deliver his, his sermons. Um, and, and there's just wonderful stories um, about his, 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 persona his just and 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 the depth of his his wisdom you know um i remember bly talking once um 
Joe turned up um, and, and Robert had given him a day. So I'll just come, come for the day. Um, and Joe turned up and literally sat and delivered a workshop for nonstop 24 hours, you know, and, and the guy just, and the guys it's were there you know, trying to match Dick open their eyes and Bly said after him, you know, that was, you know, what was all that about? And then Joe said to him, well, you, you said I had 24 hours. <laughs> So that was kind of, you know, the intensity and, and, and the wisdom wow. which he brought. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much of, of what I've seen about men's work references or has a strong connection to Joseph Campbell or, or the Jungian archetypes or any of those frameworks that even if it's not dedicated in that direction, it has, it takes something from it. And there must be something in that because so much of the, like, the, the men's group that I am part of now came out of uh, a process we went through with men's well-being, and I can't remember a common ground. It's called common ground. I think it was eight or nine weeks. Yeah, and I'm aware of through. the common ground process for sure. Yeah. yeah, and that was that was great. And there were parts of that that I that really resonated with me at that point, and parts that I was a little bit, mm. which is exactly how I feel it should be. I. I because then I can investigate what's going on for me. Why is that pushed a button? Why do I want to shy away from that and jump into this? So it was, that was a, a really interesting experience. But more than that, for me, it's what's come out of it. With the, the group that I'm in now, there are nine men, all amazing souls that otherwise I probably wouldn't have met. And I mm. definitely wouldn't have had this deep connection with. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. Like, you know, um, you know, when we, you know, sitting in circle at Warrior Within, you, you just look around and I see, um, you know, um, kind of high-end corporate guys, you know, all the way down to, you know, guys that, you know, um, maybe a you know, barista in a coffee shop or, or whatever it happens to be. And, and we're all sitting around and, you know, there's no hierarchies. We're all just men and, you know, it's just, we're all in this road of life together and 99.9% .9 of our our dreams and our concerns are pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. I think that's where the true medicine is, you know, and I've seen friendships spring up where you would never have otherwise expected it, you know, and men, you know, we've seen like jobs being offered and like, it's just like, like, it's just been this beautiful, beautiful exchange that time and time again, it just takes my breath away sometimes mm -hmm. um, um, to see men in that space with, you know, um, a lot of traits that sometimes we're not um, externally accredited with, you know, like compassion and, and, and all these and, and intuition and, you know, just, and, and wonderful caring and nurturing, you know. Uh, very powerful. I love what you said about, it doesn't matter what people's roles are outside. It's like, it's like all of that societal bullshit gets stripped away. Correct. And you just sit there as a man. Yeah. And that is it. We're all men. Mm. And look, I, I can't speak for what a, what a woman's experience of this would be. Maybe it's exactly the same, but it's so lovely not to be our roles and responsibilities while sitting in that circle. Mm. And, and they just, are just roles and responsibilities. And most men, um, you know, that's how they define themselves. Yes. And I think that's where the problem begins because if you define yourself by a role or responsibility, it's impermanent. Um you know, like your role, even a role as a father or anything um, that's external of you, it's just that. It's just a responsibility. And that doesn't decrease its importance. It's vital. But if you hang your whole identity on it, um, 
and then it falls apart, which it invariably does because everything falls apart, um, then what are you left with? You don't know who you are. So there has to be something standing behind you, um, a deep sense of self, a deep sense of being on the road to becoming who you are, um, which has responsibilities tied up in it, but is not them at their essential core, if that makes sense. It does perfectly. I mm. uh, earlier today had a jujitsu class and one of, one of my training partners older than me and recently got promoted to black belt, which in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a fairly decent marker of amount of effort put in and suffering and application and all of this wonderful. And he, and he said to me, I've, I've felt like something changed because even subconsciously obtaining that belt had become a goal, mm. even though consciously he said it wasn't a goal. It was never a marker for him. He just knew that that would come around. And, and so we had this discussion about the difference in and around goals and the journey. And I said to him that even when I was working with uh, clients as a business coach in a previous existence, that I started to throw goals out because the attainment or the missing of that goal became so important to people that it was either crushing or almost too egotistical. And the, ultimate journey gets forgotten mm. yeah i agree so, i think um our um our fixation on goals um you know and you see it all with all the coaches but our fixation on goals is actually moving us away from who we really are because it's an external projection mm -hmm. um I'm, I'm not saying don't have any goals but I, yeah, I think we have to be very careful with the language around goals because you, you know it's very easy to set yourself up for failure um, and, you know, like, I like the idea of, um, you know, aim lower, like yes, if, you, if, if, you, if you're going to set why goals not? and, you know, make them really achievable, make them almost impossible not to achieve. Um, and that way you're Something just constantly that, sure. taking a step forward every single day, um, without, without, you know, constantly setting the bar too high and just constantly feeling like a failure. Cause that's all self-perpetuated, but, you know, making the goals really simple it's like you know it's simple when i'm teaching meditation people say how long should i meditate and I, I my answer is you know obviously there's no hard and fast rule around that but what you sh what, what what's absolutely clear to me is like give yourself a um a, a unit of time that, that you absolutely know you can do like make it so easy so make it two minutes if that's if you know for sure that you can achieve that every day you know, and start right. from there rather than say, you know, I've got to do 60 minutes every day and then beating yourself up when you never get to do that. Well, it's a big jump. I mean, 60 minutes of anything that you've never fit into a day. Mm. It's a big jump. Mm. It's a big jump. I, I've talked about this a couple of times. I play bass guitar very badly, uh, but I'm interested in it. I do want to improve, but I know that I'm never going to be a professional bassist. Bassist. And I just do not have that as a priority. So I'm not going to be the guy that will sit there for three hours a day, playing my scales, doing, doing the technical work to become proficient on the instrument, but I'll do enough that I enjoy it. Hmm. And, and I saw a teacher online say, it's better for you just to pick up the bass for 15 minutes every day and just do something than it is to sit there in some kind of static. I've got to do it for, one hour or three hours twice a week mm. just 
have a small chunk of time, but make that sort of a consistent practice. I call it um, education of the heart or cultivating the heart, because if you're that three hour part you're talking about, that's a head-based practice. Mm-hmm. I must do this in order to achieve a certain yeah, goal. Should, should, yeah, should. Yeah. Well, should, you know, the way I see should um, brother is um, these things here at the bottom of my neck. Yeah. They're shoulders. <laughs> and if you should yourself too much, you just, you're just weighing heavily on your own shoulders. Yeah. You know, so um, don't do that. Yeah. yeah so. No, no. Yeah, it's, but that's what I'm saying. If if yeah. if the message to self is, oh, I should be doing three hours. Yeah. Then the, the load with that comes with that. Yeah, should comes from here. The heart doesn't understand should. No. Um, yeah, the heart so, so, so what you're doing there when you're just doing 15 minutes or 10 minutes is um is what I call um you know um cultivation of the heart or um or heart heart education because mm. and that's that's the practice of practice it's not it's not practice with a goal to becoming uh, to mastery it's simply practicing anything and you know from 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 my perspective as a man you've got to be disciplined in in showing up to practice practice and whether it's whether it's bass or meditation or anything else whether it's knitting it, you're just you're just practicing practice and that's and that's really um that's really the discipline that we need to kind of weave into our lives you know um and that's a very heart-based um way of coming at it you know um and for me you know whatever it is that lights your heart up um go and do that you know and mm-hmm. and, and, and the byproduct of that will be happiness will be mastery will be whatever else, but you're not aiming at that as a goal. You're just doing it because you're doing it because it lights your heart up. Yeah. Couldn't it's, it's like the idea of dancing. Why do you dance? It's there's no, there's not necessarily a reason to dance. No, no. I, I remember. I, yeah. Like I, I think it's Alan Watts who says like, you don't dance to get to the other side of the dance floor. <laughs> it sounds like Alan Watts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what an amazing man he was. Mm. Yeah, I like no, that's fantastic, man. Sounds like we're we're right on the the, the same space with that one. Um, mm. Yeah, and I'm just all about finding the the joy and the beauty, you know, and 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 composting the, the grief and the sorrow in my life, and learning that that is that is the 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 fertile soil to to grow grow my joy, yeah. you know. Um, for the uh, mill. Yeah, as Rumi says, you know, plant your grief seeds. You know, plant your grief seeds. You know, and the intention, the intention is, you know, figure out what kind of garden you want to grow because that's your legacy mm-hmm. for the next generation. They have to live in that garden. And I, I always love the metaphor of the the lotus flower growing in the muddiest water. Of course. Absolutely. It's such gotta, a beautiful you know, metaphor. That's it, man. Like the, the, the clear directive from life is to go and sit in your shit and the gold will be within, mm. you know. Um, we, we, we could quote Campbell there, couldn't we? You know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. I tell you, it's so. There's a it, there's a lot of Campbell in Star Wars. Have you noticed that? Well, um, it's based on Star Wars. It, yeah. Uh, sorry, it's, it's based on the hero's based, journey. Yeah. And, and um, I, have exactly you seen, what you just. Sorry. Go on. Go yeah. on. You finished. I was just gonna say exactly what you said. Then is the cave scene where Luke doesn't want to go into the cave. And yeah, he puts his he puts all his armor on. He takes his lightsaber and all that kind of stuff. And you're just saying you don't need your weapons because all that's in there is what you take in there. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, so, Joe Camp Joe Campbell said that George Lucas was his greatest student. 
um, he, I mean, George Lucas publicly said that he was taking the hero's journey and putting it in space. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if you've seen, um, seen the documentary, The Power of Myth, um, which that. is, yeah, which is like a six, six, seven part documentary with Bill Moyers and Joe Campbell, but it's actually, um, the, the, the latter part of it is actually filmed at the Skywalker Ranch at, at George Lucas's place. Awesome. So, you know, writing that down. Yeah, it's 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 exactly um yeah, I mean that's exactly what Star Wars. It's it's the mm. it's the it's the quintessential hero's journey movie, but it all of the them hero's are. journey. Yeah, Lord of the Rings, like anything you want the Hobbit, yeah, any, anything you want to look at, um you see that same structure. And you know, that's why Joe called it the monomyth. You know, it's it's every person's life. Um and you can you can, you know, you can nuance it. I mean, I think um yeah, it, it it can still be a little bit rigid at, in places, but I think it it provides a, an excellent framework um, for certainly the work we're doing at Warrior Within. You know, it's not, um, you know, we, we we move around within it. We we keep it flexible, um, but as a as a as a base, um, it's it's got a lovely structure to it. Yeah, it's nice when you've got a framework, but not a, a dog a dogma. It's definitely yeah. You 100%. have to stick to it, and that that then that becomes restrictive in and of itself. Well, that's right, and and it's the same thing with the archetypes. I mean, you know, it's as soon as you um, codify an archetype, you kind of um, you're kind of um, losing sight of the fact of what it really is, because it's too fluid for that. It's kind of like um, looking at an electron through a microscope, and then it's gone. Um, that's what happens there when we try. That's what, yeah, if you try to define an archetype, that's kind of what you're doing. You're saying, let's take the lover archetype. Like as soon as you fix it in time and space and try to define it, it's no longer this flowy thing, uh, un ineffable, undefinable energy. Um, so you can use these things as frameworks to try to point at them. It's like in that direction, but you can't actually nail it down because it, it's just that would be the wrong thing to do. You're bringing it from a non-ordinary space into an ordinary space you're reminding me of alan once again with this i that i can remember one of his books which will be on the shelf there for sure and he was talking about how we as humans put grids over the world so we yeah. can talk about them and understand them but we're not living the grid is effectively what he was saying it's like the terrain and the map are a bit different oh that sounds like nlp now yeah it does i was gonna say <laughs> yeah contour maps and contours um yeah. but yeah yeah it's um that's right you know essentially what we're trying to say there is that you know as a human being we have both a um both a, a particle state and a wave state um you know oh that's, that's a lovely way to speak about it but that's essentially what we have and mm. you know the minute we close our eyes and 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 go into meditation we're into wave state you know, the, the minute you open your eyes and you identify things around the room and you see yourself as a body in a room with a microphone and a, and a laptop, then I'm back into um, particle state again. But the problem is what we're seeing in the world right now is just a rigid attachment to particle state. Um, mm -hmm. And that's it. But, you know, I only need to close my eyes. And um, you'll love see. this. Mm. I introduced my two children to meditation today. Oh, beautiful. How old are they? Uh 10 and 13. Nice. I, I always fall on the first one because she's not a 10 year old, but that's her age, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I have oh, to 100%. really, I have to really think about it. Mm. We sat down just here in this space and I asked them beforehand, I said, do you know what meditation is? What, what, what do you know about it? And, and they came up with some really lovely ideas of it's calming and it's, it's not really anything and it's sitting still and 
okay, would you like to do it for five minutes? Because they've never done it. I said, we'll just sit together and I will say some things. And you can listen to me or not listen to me. And if you just sit, that'll be fine. Mm. And they both at the end of it, they said, I feel so, I feel different, dad. Mm. Okay, that's all right. It doesn't matter if nothing happens. It doesn't matter if you feel better or worse or otherwise. We just had a moment together. But I fell into that space while we were in it where I was called at the wave state. Mm. And I had to, okay, I'm going to come back down because I've got two kids that probably don't want to go on a journey for that. I would have sat there for a while because I could just feel them there and it was so wonderful and comfortable. Yeah, no, that's beautiful, man. I mean, you know, it's lovely. Yeah, I've got a seven-year-old, but you know, especially with with um, Zoom right now, like I'm teaching all the time when he's here, so he's um, he's kind of gets his gets a fair bit of uh, meditation in. Um, <laughs> to and sit he's able next to, to you while it's happening. Well, he's able to do it on his own now, which is terrific. You know, just that's wonderful. Catch him sometimes just sitting there with his legs crossed and his eyes closed, and that's just um, that's great. That's just you know um, he's he's immersed in you know it's what his dad does so especially that he's not going to school he's um you know being he's at home all the time so that's he's, right. and he's, so did he just did he just pick that up via osmosis or did you um, fully take him through it uh, I mean probably a bit of both I suppose um, I've certainly haven't sat him down and sort of forced it upon him um, <laughs> yeah, I mean my mum tried a little bit of that when I was younger and it didn't turn out that well. Um, so I think, um, no, I think it's just largely through curiosity um, because, Beautiful. you know, he sees what's going on. And I, I, I have a fairly um, disciplined um, daily practice and, you know, that's happening whether he's around or not. So he sees a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful that you're introducing your kids to it. I, I, I love that. Um, well, we'll see where it goes. I don't know. I, I want to be very gentle about it. You have to, I think it's, it's, it's an imperative. Um, I think, you know, I think we sometimes, you know, uh, let's not get into a discussion about parenting and and fatherhood, you know, but we could, could, I know, but I think Uh, um, part two. Yeah. You know, we, 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 um, um, well, you know, part of our course, you know, one of the steps in the hero's journey is called atonement with the father, but it's really about atonement with the father energy. Um, and, and that's like kind that. of a, a really big piece, um, of, um, of the course as, you know, understanding your own father wounds, um, both from the point of view of, uh, as a son and, and a father. Um, but also, you know, there's kind of three levels of, of, of father energy. You've got the, the, um, the, uh, I guess the universal cosmic father, you know, like the sun King in China or, you know, and then at the next level down or the mythological father, if you like, and then at the next yes. level down, you've kind of got the King energy, you know, and then you've got the father in the home, the nuclear father energy beneath that. And, you know, and, and what, 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 what we're trying to get across to the guys is where we are now in 2021, the mythological father, the spiritual father, God is, is gone. Um, and we don't have a king anymore. Um, so that level of fatherhood is gone. So all we're left with is, 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 the, is the, the father in the house, right? And then you look at that father and you expect him to be all those things. All three right? things. You, you expect him to be the king, God, and the father of the household. And then you're angry at him because he's just a human being. Yeah, he's you know, just and, like and, you. And yeah, you yeah and a lot of sons and daughters are very angry at their dads because they're expecting way too much of them. They're expecting yeah. them to play the role of all these levels of, of, of the spiritual father all the way up to God. 
and this is just an ordinary man. How is he expected to do that? You know, it's like yeah. Look, I come, I come up with stuff that I've been carrying, and I do this work with clients and and with listening to other men's stories. On Monday, something came up that I said to all the men. And one of the men at the end afterwards sort of clocked off. He said, you need to tell your dad that, you know, respectfully. He wasn't giving me advice. He, was, he said, may I? Mm. And I said, you know what? I didn't even know that I had that. So the only reason I haven't said anything to my dad about that is I hadn't realized it. Mm. And oh, so- look, it takes a long time to become it's- aware of, of these things. I mean, I, I my whole journey in looking into you know, my, my father wound, my mother wound and all the things probably didn't begin till after I was 40. Um, you know, I, I, it was impacting my life and impacting how I showed up in the world, but I wasn't prepared to look at it because, you know, pain points, you know, and it wasn't until I was in the shit, you know, really deep in the, in the tragedy of life and, and had some, had some, a lot of suffering going on that, you know, I actually had to have a look mm. and um, definitely wasn't easy but you know found the gold in there amongst the shit and um and here i am you know that's great and it's a common story to hear you oh, hear about it's... people who have taken on a role similar to yours mm. helping where they can help and this is the story you know i had to work out my own shit because or else well you know i would i probably yeah i don't think i'd still be on the planet to be honest um okay you know um yeah, um, I lost my my mum and my sister both to suicide, and um, it's certainly something which um, runs deep in the veins of my family. Um, you know that sort of depressive um, tendency. You know, um, and it's a it's definitely a dark passenger that I've carried on my shoulder my entire life since an early teen, early teen, you know, suicidal ideations in my early teens. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you just get used to navigating who you are and, and, and understanding how to, um, how to be with that part of yourself and to integrate it into the whole, you know, we all have the shadow. Um, yes. And, and, you know, that's, that's where mine is. And, you know, I think I brushed that stuff under the carpet for so long that it ended up manifesting in physical disease. Um, so, you know, um, 10 years ago now, um, uh, I was diagnosed with, with uh, blood cancer and um and that it's actually quite um um top of mind this month because september's blood cancer awareness month so i do quite a bit with various charities and stuff around that um and that's something i'm still um dancing with today um so you know i think that all these things are connected together you know um and i wouldn't have it any other way Mm. like i wouldn't give it back any of these things i wouldn't give it back even if i could yeah it's a big web yeah, it, it, you know, it's all, um, you know, um, it's all part of the rich tapestry, you know, and there's huge blessings in all these things. There's huge blessings. Um, yeah. It's led me friend, to where I am. A friend on her foot, she has tattooed this too, dot, dot, dot. Mm. And I just said to her, one, I saw it one day in a music festival in the bush. I said, that's beautiful. And she said, yeah, it's not, it's not a, it's not supposed to bring me down. It just reminds me that no matter where I am at the moment, I'll be somewhere else later on. No matter what's <laughs> happening now, something else will happen. I just mm. such a beautiful reminder that it's it's all flowing. It's up and down and it's winding. And uh-huh. absolutely, 
you know, and, and going back to the wave state, you can be here and there at the same time. Mm. Quantum. Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's about thinking about your present and your past. Like a lot, if you close your eyes, I mean, it's NLP in a way and think about where your past is. It's, you know, a lot of, you know, it's that whole idea of it being behind you and in front of you. And mm. yeah. And the same thing, it's just about bringing it all into the present moment, you know, um, shifting it around to that timeline, which you'd be, you know, right on top of with all your NLP training. Well, yeah, and uh, and some additional other stuff I, I've been looking into. Uh, some work by, uh, it's behind me. I don't know why I'm looking behind me, because, probably because it's on the shelf. Uh, Richard Hill and uh, Ernest Rossi, who Rossi was one of the students of Milton Erickson. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of work, wrote most of the case study books. And they have a process that they call mirroring hands. Mm where they use sort of to disassociate, to take the problem out of you. So it's the problem is not you. Mm. The problem is the problem. And they move it around the hands. And they've been doing some work that is pointing to sort of quantum field type stuff in and around psychotherapy, which blows my mind because I'm, I don't understand it, but I know it's wonderful. And so there's this possibility that they will be able to explain a lot of what happens with these NLP processes, with hypnosis, with, you name the psychotherapy that it's going on at a quantum level. And because we can't right now explain why someone who moves their eyes this way can overcome a trauma, we might not be able to explain exactly what's happening in a mechanism. So is something quantum happening? And then once we understand that, can we explain it? So I find Mm. that fascinating over and above anything NLP. Oh no, absolutely. And it, I mean, there's always something quantum happening, right? That's the whole point, well, but exactly. you know, uh, yeah. And this is, um, you know, quantum entanglement and all these things that we're just kind of, um, beginning to understand now, but, um, Dipping the toe in, aren't we? yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, I've been, um, involved with the heart math Institute for a long time now, um, 10, 12 years and, you know, and just understanding, um, you know, even the stuff that they were talking about back in the day around heart intelligence, like it's all starting to come to like the science is all backing that up now. Um, and whereas back then it probably seemed a little bit, um, a little bit kind of, you know, hippy dippy or something, but now it's all, it's all, um, you know, backed up by science. And not only that, if you go back to the shamans 60,000 years ago, they were Mm -hmm. saying the same things as well. So, um, that, you know, they they didn't know about our indigenous culture right beneath our feet in the very soil we live in. They didn't understand quantum, but they totally understood quantum. (laughs) Exactly. They got it. Exactly. And even I studied Chinese medicine 15, 20 years ago, and they have this concept of heart mind. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The heart mind. Absolutely. You know, and and, and that's, of course, you think you're like, of course, Mm. Of course that's all that's, that's all coherence is it's just the signaling between the heart and the mind you know it's just um it's just having a clear signal you know and understanding that it's the heart which is the precursor to experience it's you know as we, we wherever wherever we go we're just a a, a a frequency interaction with our environment you know and the signals arrive in the heart and the heart then translates those and sends signals to the brain and and then there's a thought so you know this is why the, with the heart mom we're getting in behind thought you know um and to me that's just such a beautiful process and a beautiful thing to consider and for me that's meditation you know we talk about mindfulness but i actually think it's more heartfulness if we if we're really getting to the truth of Ooh, the matter now um, we're getting deep well you know the, the 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 chinese um um the chinese word for um for mindfulness yeah. when you look at the character um it actually means bringing the heart to the present yeah right 
you know, that's, um, you know, or, or similar to that. It's, it's got a heart paced quality to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm all for, for this kind of Western idea of mindfulness, but I think there's a step before that and it's related to the center of your chest. And maybe that's where we miss the point a little bit in and around mindfulness, that it's a quality of thought or thoughtfulness rather than anything else. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Mm. And, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of men's work is really just an eight inch journey, isn't it? From, from there to, to, to there. And I'm pointing yeah. at my heart, you know, it's yeah, like the whole, hero, you know, the, the whole hero's journey is really just eight inches. <laughs> it's just that you got to go to the end of the world and struggle and go to the depths of your sorrow and everything to figure that out. You can't do it from, yeah. from home. 80,000 kilometers to move eight inches. That's exactly it, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, the basis of a lot of all the old myths, that's essentially the story plot, you know, man, hero goes out into the world, has all these trials and tribulations, and then comes back home a different person because he's moved that eight inches. And then he, you know, um, gives that gift of knowledge away that, hey, look, you know, this is what you need to do. But every person has to go out. You've got to go out into the world to figure that out. You can't do it sitting on a meditation cushion um you can point yes. at it you can yeah. point at it but it's got to be lived yeah there's something for the experience of it mm. rather than thinking about it yeah i mean whatever it is yeah there's a lovely old um um um, um jewish myth called isaac's dream which is um which is such a beautiful story that wraps it up so so fantastically but essentially you know our hero keeps having a dream and in the dream he gets told that there's a great treasure um outside a castle under a bridge you know a long long way away and and he resists going he resists going and he thinks of all the reasons why he shouldn't go but eventually he goes and um and he gets there and it's guarded by the, the king's guards he can't get to the the area which he was told to dig in his dream to go and find the gold. And eventually one of the guards comes up to him and says, um, you know, you've been here every day, man, you know, what are you doing? And he says, well, and he tells him about the dream and the guard says, you know, you're, 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 you're a silly, you're a silly fellow, you know, listening to dreams like that. He said, um, if I listened to my dreams, um, I'd be telling you that I would meet this man one day. Um, and I'd, I'd be telling him that the, that, um, that there's a treasure, um, back in his own home and it's it's behind his hearth his fireplace and all he has to do is dig behind there and all the treasures there and the man says uh-huh thank you very much goes home goes behind digs in and there's the treasure right in his own home but he had to go all the way out to the edges of the world to find that information out to come back you know and the interesting thing about that story is hearth hearth is 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 a heart word you know it's the central place in the home as it was right in the center of the house um, and hearth, heat, heart, they're all part of the same word. So it's essentially, it's a story back to your own heart, you know, and interestingly enough that the Roman word for hearth was focus. Really? Mm-hmm. So the focus was the fire in the center of, of the home. So focus is also a heart word, you know, around clarity and, and these types of things. So it all, this is why when we get into the, the myth of it all, it all starts to make sense. Mm. Mm. It strips away all of the thinking about the thinking about the thinking about the thing. And you've just got Correct. the thing. Yeah, that's it. 
and you know the journey is really to um to you know look deeply into the hearth your own and focus mm. Mm. i like that yeah i can i can see parallels with what you're talking almost invariably when i'm doing clinical work as a hypnotherapist for one of a better term because it's a little bit more than that but that's the title so we'll go with it mm. invariably regardless of if someone's coming in for smoking or they're coming in for anxiety or you name it it's over cognition is what we're what we're looking at step number one we and it's exactly what you're talking about get out of your head into your heart mm-hmm. so almost always it, it is an exercise in sensation that i teach first off can we just get you to sit there and notice what your body feels like you're disembodied mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. get you embodied get you back into your body and feel and then all of a sudden the, the thoughts aren't quite so powerful or the volume has reduced somewhat. Do you see a similarity with meditative practice in that same way that it? Oh, hundred percent. An embodying practice. Yeah, it's an. But once you're in that place, I think that the question you've got to ask yourself is, um, you know, what's what story am I living? Like to sort of strip away the 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 the, the, the limiting beliefs. You know, the stories that are not serving you. And ask a deeper question about, well, then what story am I in? You know, what's the, what's the cosmic mythological story that I'm in? Because, you know, I, I would suggest that outer behaviors like, you know, drinking, smoking, gambling, pornography, whatever, are just a way of um, numbing yourself to the, to, to, the, to the cosmic story that you're living in. You know, it's this, it's this, it's a it's, distraction. It, it's a distraction. Um, and probably because, you know, the stories that you believe you're in in your head, not your heart story, but your head story is full of problems. And it's been overanalyzed, as you said, this overcognition and, you know, they're very limiting, you know, um, 80%, as you would know, you know, 80% of our thoughts are, are, are self-limiting. Um, and they're also the same as the day before. So, <laughs> you know, we're very, rigid. From? we're very rigid, we're very stuck. And, and we generally have Habitual. stories that, that don't, um, don't um, aid our growth. It's amazing. And, yeah, and so as a result of that, you know, we start behaving. We 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 start to carry addictions around, don't we? Um, and everything just becomes a, a vicious circle. It's it's this this word story keeps coming up, and it, I find it amazing because there's that level of the story we tell ourselves, whether it's limiting or it's empowering, and then there's story as a therapeutic tool or mm. or a tool of education or dissemination of wisdom and knowledge mm. and yep. we love like we humans love stories it, the ones we tell well, ourselves we, we, are, we, we are we are stories man that's all we are we're just a bundle of stories like forget about this this bag of bones that we carry around with us we're just story that's intrinsically what a human being is it's just a bunch of stories and so you've got to start figuring out what those stories are <laughs> what's my story um, yeah like Which you know you want to be in yeah, Jung said the most important question a man can ask himself is what myth am I living? You know, um, and not myth as in untruth, like the, no, the, no, the, no. the real definition of myth, you know, which is mm. essentially um, a deeper truth. That reminds me, and yeah, different kind of thinker, but I remember something that Joe Rogan said once in his podcast, it was like, be the superhero in your own story. It's the same thing. And it's so beautiful. Like, yeah. however you say it, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I think we've got to transcend 
transcend the hero to some degree. Like I'm always big on beyond the hero because I think the 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 arc line of our culture is is the hero myth. You know, you look at the movies, look at the things. So I, I you know, especially I, at the moment. Well, it's always been that way. Like this, it's the hero myth. Like any religion, any 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 doctrine, anything you read is is going to be some form of the hero myth, right? And so mm. the question I think we've got to ask ourselves now, particularly in the culture that we live in now, is what's beyond the hero. What's beyond the hero myth? Like what 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 happens next? What's the next story? Yeah, and it's about elderhood, and it's about wisdom, um, and it's about the returning hero. Then what? Um, and I think we've got to actually expand our view and our cultural view beyond the hero. Um, so I think Joe Rogan's right, but I think we're at a point now where there's something more, um, and that's where we need to be looking in terms of expanding this tight loop around the hero myth that we seem to have found ourselves in culturally. Um, how do we bust out of that to the next? And go. How do we level up that one? Yeah, exactly. Um, how do we that, level up? Yeah, that's that's the question you've got to ask ourselves. Like, you know, the hero myth is great, but it's 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 it it, it in itself is becoming a limiting story. Mm. Oh, I, well, now you've got me wondering what comes. What's the sequel to the hero myth? <laughs> well, there's some beautiful books out there around that. Um, you know, um, you know, uh, I'm starting to see a lot of you know cultural thinkers literally talking about beyond the hero um and you know Jung mentions it in a lot of his work like he spotted back in the 50s that you know the the hero myth was um outliving its use um and needed to be expanded you know into the next thing you know i can almost guarantee that i start seeing that everywhere now just the uh of course you will system will click in and yeah 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 google will be listening and youtube will tell me that this is what i need to watch next yeah 100 percent um so yeah you know um i I think that you know we we can look at our own story as individuals but there's also the 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 broader um collective story that we're living at the moment and um that's very interesting when you look around in terms of what's happening um because we're part of a we're part of a each of us is part of a some form of 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 story or um, myth but there's also the collective one you know and i feel like right now we're at the point in the collective story where you know we're going through another rite of passage um you know we're going through a collective initiation and i don't think we're doing very well um but when you look at the three (laughs) i think we're doing very well either yeah when you look at the three stages of initiation you have um you know, um, separation, death, um, renewal. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean a physical death. It's a death of something, be it the ego or, or maybe the story that we're currently living. I don't know, but something needs yeah, to die. moment of transition. Yeah, something needs to die. And, you know, we're seeing separation, isolation pretty clearly. We are. Um, with restrictions and lockdowns. But instead of surrendering to being there, we're trying to clamber back to the old story you know keep saying you return to normal return to normal normal's gone baby and we're being initiated into something new and you know we have to accept that so we've got to accept the the isolation um separation part as being part of the transition and then you know something's going to die we're going to have to give up a few things you know and we're going to have to actually reframe our entire relationship with death to be honest um and then hopefully we'll come back into a, a renewed world with a different world perspective. That would be the, the traditional cycle of what's going on here, but we're not allowing that to happen as a collective. 
we're fighting and we're resisting. Yeah, we are um, very stuck at the first step, aren't we? Yeah, we kind of, yeah. And then getting people to look at death or allowing something to die is just unacceptable in our culture. Well, the Western culture does not like a discussion in and around death, nor grief. No, no or if you say it has to die in order for you to move on, because we see it as, a, we see life as very linear, you know, um, and it's not, it's back to the wave particle state again. You know, it's like, you know, our life is cyclical. Death is not the end. If you think no. this is a good one, if you think that death is the end, then you think the story is about you. Ooh, Asher, I like that one. So we've got to get past that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Mm. That's what, I mean, it's interesting when you look at the Western perspective on death, and then you go and look at some Eastern philosophy. And I can remember, I don't know if it was Zen teaching, but it was Buddhist in nature. That and one of the masters said, "If you see the Buddha on the road, kill him." Yeah, that's right. That's an old that's an old Zen Zen uh, teaching. It's a beautiful one too. But you know, the but the first it, time you hear it, it's like what? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Um, and you know, death is the greatest teacher we have. You know, death is, 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 is the guru hidden in plain sight of every single day. Um, and it's the reason why we love and it's the reason why we see beauty in the world. And, you know, um, I guarantee you, if, if we all live forever, we wouldn't see beauty um, and we no, wouldn't something love. something beautiful about impermanence. Of course. You know, why do you, love, um, why do you love a bunch of real roses over and above a bunch of plastic ones? Because they're going to die, right? And so suddenly your heart goes, oh, now my heart's invested in this and i can feel things you know um but if it wasn't going to die you wouldn't feel that no and you, you get used to it you take it for granted oh it's still yeah, there that's it imagine a relationship where you were both um going to live forever some people might think that's a nightmare but you you would certainly start to take each other for granted i mean there's an unwritten contract that you sign when you fall in love with someone and that's you know one of the one of us is going to be you know um, um, scattering the ashes in the yard. And I'm happy to take that burden because that's love. And we don't know which one of us it's going to be, but one of us is going to be doing that. And mm -hmm. I, I, I agree to that. I'm happy to carry that weight because I love you. And if it wasn't there, I don't know. I think somewhere written into every relationship is the fact that deep down we know that we've only got a certain amount of time together and we don't know when it's going to end and that may not be a physical death someone might cheat on the other someone might fall out of love but one way or another this thing ends and we've got to learn to love the ending yeah we've got to learn to love the ending you know if you're I, I choose to spend this time with you that's it you know but if you don't love the fact that it ends then you're not loving unconditionally like you've got to actually learn to love your own death and you've got to actually learn to love the end of relationships because otherwise you're saying, I like this part of it, but not that part of it. It's an inherent part of it. And so if you're saying I love unconditionally, you've got to love the not so comfortable bits of it as well. You know, um, you I know, think death it comes down to the misconception that death is the opposite of life. It's not when, when it's, it's not, it's, it's, it more, maybe more correctly it's the opposite of birth it's like there is an arising and then there's a, a falling that's it the, and the in-between is a completely different thing it's that's not right and, and 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 the beauty of saying that um birth and death are opposites is you you can then go on to say that life contains both so it's the container for both birth and death and therefore if you love your life you have to love birth and death or else you're only loving part of your life which is then conditional 
Absolutely conditional so, and completely yeah. imbalanced as well. Completely imbalanced, um, unharmonious. And, it, you know, and as humans, we, we have this tendency to only love the lovable things. <laughs> and that's very conditional. Yeah, kittens, not toads. Yeah, yeah, it, well, yeah. and, you know, births, not deaths. And that's just going to set you up. Young people, not old people. It's going to set you up for suffering all the way along. So um, you've got to see the beauty in all of it. You know, um, the meaning of life, in fact, in my mind is death. Because death makes way for life. You know, you know, I remember the beautiful last lines of Leonardo da Vinci, you know, all, all my life, I thought I was learning how to live when in fact I was learning how to die. That's almost Tibetan in a way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's great. No, I mean, you've reminded me of a lot of amazing stuff today. That's oh, good, brother. No, I'm glad of it. I, I, you know, I think you know, the fact that we came around to death is important because I think that's the, the, the angel of death seems to be hovering over us and it's what's, it's what's creating a lot of this fear. But she's always there, man. You know, we're only renting this life from her and she can take it back whenever she wants. And we, we forget that. I was on a 30-minute walk today. This was on my way to jiu-jitsu. I did the walk there and the walk back. Mm. And I had a wonderful conversation inside my head. <laughs> and, and I was seeing myself talking to other people about death, mm. which is truly amazing because we've come to that right now. And previous to hitting the record button, we didn't even mention death. So <laughs> we did really it. Really interesting that that's taken place. It's yeah. kismet or something. But I was in, in my oration to whoever was there in my story, in my head, I was saying that we're not afraid of death. We're not afraid of the activity of dying. We are afraid that we, we are afraid of the unknown, like what's after it. And, and so this, it's, it's in and around the fear of the unknown. And we attach that to death. And then we become afraid of death. Yep. I think there's and a lot in that. I don't, I, and I, I don't even know if I was telling the truth or not, but that was going around my head while I was having this walk. Yeah. I, won, I wonder if this attachment that we have to our dislike in talking about and thinking about and even just sitting with the idea of death isn't the actual activity of dying, but there's almost no way of knowing maybe some people do know what it's like on the other side who am i to judge but i would say most people are so closed off to that that it's a complete unknown it's almost the ultimate unknown therefore the ultimate fear but it's also the ultimate known because um yeah i think a what what you're talking about there is just that we don't like uncertainty um yes but unfortunately all our suffering in chaos but we don't like it yeah all all, all our suffering is tied to the fact that everything's uncertain and we don't like that um so you know that that's a great metaphor for death and exactly what you were saying but but Mm -hmm. it's also the great known because the the most knowable thing in the world that you can know as a human being is that you're going to die there is nothing more knowable and yet if you talk to most people who are in the death trade i.e. in palliative care or looking after people as they're dying, they will say this. They'll say the number of people who are surprised, you know, when, when they get a terminal diagnosis or when, when they find out that they're literally coming to the end stages of their life and they're actually dying, they're surprised. And my issue is how can there be such a disconnect to be surprised at the most knowable thing that it's possible to know as a human being? 
like yeah. like yeah, could like, be the timing, but that's about it, really. Like, well, maybe but, it's unexpected only because they have had a expectation that they were going to hit eighty five. No, I think it's a you know it's a genuine surprise. Like you know we've suppressed this idea. Um, we think because we, we cognitively got a hold of it, but we we actually you know I would say this. Um, would you agree with the statement that everyone knows they're going to die? Oh, absolutely. Would you agree with the statement that everyone behaves like they know they're going to die? No. There it they is. They don't. There no it one is. lives like they're going to die. Right. Can, so that, and so you what, can see it all, in almost everyone. That's I mean, right. There are, so, so, there are so, a few exceptions. Yeah. So, so what we've just described there is the ultimate disconnect of the human being. Everybody mm. knows they're going to die. Most people don't behave like they're going to, like they're going to die. Schism. So that's the thing. It's like we all know that um, fossil fuels are finite. We all know that. Um, look Not around. Are, are we behaving like we know that fossil fuels no, are No, we're crossing our fingers and putting our heads in the sand and hoping for the best. <laughs> and I think we do that with death. Yeah, we do do that. With, like, how can we prolong this thing? How can mm. we push it further out? That's right. And um, think about the presumptuousness of what, what, when you see a mate and, and, and you depart from one another, what do you say? Often I love you and give him a hug if it's a oh, really close then you're ride. then you're then you're then you're on the track, brother. But I would say most Aussies will say, "See you soon." See you, mate. I'm going to have to think about that. I don't think I default to that. I would have in a previous yeah. part of my existence, but Good. I really, I often thank them for whatever I just experienced. Oh, mate, well, then you're see so you're you're you know you're 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 awesome, right? That's because that's uh, most oh, people thank in, you. in, in Australia. Will, well, of course, brother, I can tell that from the moment we started speaking. But you know. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's the see you soon. And I think that, um, isn't that a subconscious little nod to the fact that it's very presumptuous. It is very presumptuous. Yeah. It's like this little nod to say, it's almost like, um, I'm hoping against hope that nothing happens to you between now and Hmm. the next time I see you. And I'm just going to sort of use my words to kind of pretend that it's, it's, it's a, it's an immutable fact. It's a a wish, isn't it? It's a wish. Yeah. It's like I remember when I was working in a, um, I was doing some workshops and I'm Jewish and um, in in a synagogue here and I I had a lot to do with one of the rabbis there. And I remember having, I used to get some, you know, sit down with him for an hour or so. And we'd just done this beautiful, beautiful little, little chat together. And I was, I was coming back to the synagogue that night to teach meditation. And I said to him, um, Oh, I'll, I'll see you in a couple of hours then. And he just, he just held my gaze for a while and he just said, God willing, you know, and, and at the time I was kind of like, Oh, I didn't really, but then when I got deeper into the work around death and all, I, I was like, man, He's teaching that's right. Something right. That's there. right. Like even a couple of hours, like that's the right, that's the right attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, had, because everything suddenly a, becomes precious. Yeah. I had a great conversation with another man on this podcast a little while ago, and he said that we don't uh, pay enough attention. What was I don't know what his words were, but we you know we don't put enough, and we don't believe enough, and we don't pay enough attention to hellos and goodbyes. Correct. Yeah. yeah they're just, flippant. They're just they? off the yeah, flippant off the cuff. Mm. Mm. And yet, mm. if if you do sit here, they're they're so important. Yeah, it's it's levels of presence. You know, it's levels of presence. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you can get caught up in the, in the, in the, in the cut and thrust of your, your day, but it's really important just to come back and really acknowledge those hellos and those goodbyes. I think it's, um, 
It's really interesting. One, um, one of our teachers at Warrior Within, he said something that really stuck with me. He was like, um, treat everyone like you sat in circle with them last night. And I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. That's like, you know, cause you, you go in in the morning and you, and you get your coffee from the barista and rather than say, thank you. It's like, imagine you sat in circle with that man last night, then you'd be looking him in the eye and you'd be like, thank you, brother. Dad, I'm I'd like, get just... arrested because I'd be hugging everyone. <laughs> Especially at the moment. <laughs> but, 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 but the sentiment of that, I think is really beautiful. That's be- it is beautiful. It mm. is. Mm. See, when people just can give you a little nugget like that and you can sit with it, that, that's what I love about these discussions. That, Yeah. yeah. Well, he said that. He yeah, said that. That's what I mean. Like he said that with you Years in ago. discussion. And, it's and just amazing. And it's it stays still there. With you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of death and the end of things, we better end this so you can get to your next appointment. No, I appreciate that, brother. And um, we'll learn to love the, this ending as well, knowing that it oh. isn't. It's just, it's just, you know, connected to the next beginning. And I, I won't say see you next time, but I would hope <laughs> that there is the opportunity to do another one of these. Yeah, so universe willing. <laughs> universe willing, God willing, yeah. the great source willing. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate this conversation. It's been really great. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And thank you. I I appreciate your time, Asher. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Mm